It's Friday, May 6, 2022, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Outcome-based financing is an innovative way to leverage markets to fund socially impactful projects that might otherwise be difficult to finance using conventional models. It's been successful in helping cities invest in things like green stormwater infrastructure and climate resiliency. The model has also worked well for making agriculture more sustainable and economically stable for farm communities. And it's a great way to put carbon sequestering trees in the ground on reclaimed mine lands, an area of particular interest to us here at the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Quantified Ventures is a DC-based capital firm specializing in the application of outcome-based financing to environmental, public health, and community development initiatives. And they're a key partner in PEC's growing reforestation effort. Here to explain how outcome-based financing works and why it aligns so well with PEC's mission is Amy Fleming of Quantified Ventures. Amy, welcome. Thanks for having me. For starters, a little background about Quantified Ventures. What do you do? Who do you work with? Uh, what's your what's your sort of mission? Yeah, uh, so Quantified Ventures is an outcome-based capital firm. Um, that means something different, I think, to a lot of people. But fundamentally, what that means to us is that we work to really just improve the health of peoples and communities as well as health of the planet. Um, so we work primarily within kind of the environmental and sustainability space as well as in healthcare and human services. Um, we're talking more on the environmental side today where I work, but I um, really work with a wide range of clients to achieve you know, sustainable change that we find impactful with private companies, local government, nonprofits, kind of everybody in between because we think finance is a tool to achieve really important outcomes. Help me understand this concept of, of outcome-based financing. Uh, impact bonds is another term I've, I've seen. Can you, and you said everybody kind of has their own definition. What's yours? How would you explain this concept? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think at its core, it's a really simple concept, which is to say that, you know, we want to put finance where it's impactful and where it achieves, you know, outcomes we want to see in the world. And so for, us, this outcomes-based financing model is really about, you know, sourcing financing that will enable and kind of expand impactful projects um, and places where we can measure it and come back and say, you know, here's the outcomes of that financing. In some places that, you know, focus on measurement and outcomes and allows us to bring different people to the table who might not, you know, fundamentally be interested in the work you're getting done, but are really excited about the outcomes it produces. And so it can allow us to kind of expand who's at the table when we think about creating new projects and it can help expand the accountability structure because we're measuring and, and seeing how impactful something actually was that we paid for. So what's the mechanic here? Like if, if I have a project that I need funded, you can help. What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> we work. I mean, QV broadly works in a number of different ways. I think, you know, Primarily, it's about consulting, and the main tool that we use in our consulting is finance. And so, we'll check to make sure you know there's a sufficient governance structure to take on financing, or you know, bring in additional funding. What kind of sustainable and durable governance is in place? We'll also think about you know what partners need to be at the table to originate a deal to bring financing in. Can the project sustain itself on its own, or the revenues it's generating sufficient to really cover financing? That's more either regular business or social enterprise, all the way down to it's not generating revenue. So let's be creative and think, you know, a trail on its own doesn't generate revenue, but 
the people who come to visit do and they'll spend money and how can we really tap into the benefit that we're creating in a broader sense to you know make sure that something really impactful can exist and benefit more people so you're kind of you know bringing a value proposition to market to an investor how is that deal structured and how does that affect the outcome that that we want yeah, we use a kind of a broad variety of different structures, but our original one was the environmental impact bond, which is really just a, you know, a flavor of municipal finance, uh, a structure that local governments are familiar with, but the focus on that outcomes piece was really important. So it's a, we've used both publicly and privately placed bonds, but conceptually you get financiers to put money into a project, a service provider will put into place in the EIB world, mostly uh, green stormwater projects, green infrastructure. And then based on how they perform, that gets paid back either by the you know, DC waters of the world or a third party who saw benefit that they really cared about, either from job creation or you know, reduced flood risk or you know, any other benefit. And that money would go back to the original uh, folks who put the financing up. Okay, so you mentioned green stormwater infrastructure as a kind of project that's particularly well suited for this approach. Why is that? What is it about GSI or other you know similar types of initiatives that really work well with outcome-based financing? Yeah, I think we started with green stormwater infrastructure because we could take a, a financing mechanism people were familiar with, like the leap of faith that this was something that would work wasn't quite so big. Um, we could say, you, know, you understand how a traditional muni bond works. What if we use that to pay for green infrastructure rather than gray infrastructure? And, and could really you know, measure the outcomes of it, say that you know, we'll prove that it's impactful, we'll prove that it gets the results you need for both the you know, water authority and also for the financing team. And so it was really about aligning incentives to say, you know, where, where's the risk gonna live? Can we bring in finance folks who are willing to shoulder a little extra risk to do something innovative and get rewarded if it works out and, and take on some risk if it doesn't? Um, and that was, you know, takes unique people at the table to be willing to shoulder that kind of risk. But a lot of people are really interested in this kind of impact oriented capital. So stormwater was a great place to start. So we, in DC water here in Washington, DC, we said, you know, there's regulations in place right now where DC has to do something differently. So they have to address stormwater overflow. Uh, this was back in, I think, 2016. And so they had some options. They could do things the regular way, finance some gray infrastructure or finance with green infrastructure. And they found, you know, a path forward with putting rain gardens and, you know, bioswales and all those different tactics in that would just slow the amount of water going into the system in the first place. So achieves the same outcome, it, it meets the regulatory requirement, but it's a really different path forward, which is a little riskier. And so Goldman Sachs and Calvert Impact Capital were willing to shoulder a little bit of risk to allow DC Water to do something which was, you know, something they were excited about, but probably couldn't have done without an innovative financing tool. So looks like Immunity Bond has a lot of the same characteristics with something they knew how to evaluate for the most part, and then we kind of set up all the appropriate accountability structures, measurement, analysis to take care of that kind of innovative piece to prove that green infrastructure works, which five years later when we measured it, we got the results that proved it was, you know, exactly where we thought it would perform, which was exciting. 
about that accountability piece, like how, how do you actually go about ensuring that the desired outcome has been achieved? You know, I, I imagine you have to prove that to your investor. Yeah. I mean, there's the measurement and kind of what metrics you use can really vary. And I think something we've found just in the industry is that, you know, perfect can be the enemy of the good. We want to measure something that gets us to the point where we're able to move something forward that's impactful. Um, so we've measured, you know, gallons of stormwater and other metrics around how to just kind of demonstrate the value of something and all of those pieces and who will measure and how they measure gets sorted out front just so everybody has clear expectations about what they're agreeing to. But, you know, that degree of transparency around how will we measure performance is a pretty new thing in, in you know, impact finance. There's a lot of concern around greenwashing because people don't really know how impactful these types of investments are. And the EIB is a really great tool to, you know, clarify some of those things and allow people to report out exactly what happened and how impactful it truly was. So maybe looking beyond stormwater, what are some other uh, applications for this model in the environmental sphere, I guess? Yeah, companies started with green stormwater and we've expanded to a number of different places. We work, uh, we have some work in agriculture where we are thinking about, you know, how can we implement best management practices to help improve water quality and also increase carbon sequestration. So really cool work happening in agriculture just as people think more about sustainability there. Uh, we're also thinking about it in, in forestry and thinking about, you know, for, for a stewardship, reforestation, other kind of avenues to support our forests, um, thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, state revolving funds, which is a tool out of the EPA. It's got funding sources and what can we, how can we match that up with great projects and really take advantage and leverage funding opportunities to help them go further or bring good projects online that might have been sitting on the sidelines otherwise. Let's focus in then on, on some reforestation work that you guys are involved in with Pennsylvania Environmental Council. As you know, we started out about five or six years ago, taking on little projects, mostly on public uh, lands. And now we're kind of branching out from there. Financing becomes increasingly important. Can you kind of describe the work that you're doing with, with PEC on reforestation? Yeah. So we've uh, been working with PEC for, gosh, almost two years now, really thinking about this and trying to take you know the QV approach to this. So PEC's doing great work within reforestation and what role can financing play in advancing and expanding the impact of that work? Uh, so we, we did some exercises to think about, you know, this particular challenge around legacy mine land reforestation and doing that on private lands where there's, you know, heavily compacted soils, trees aren't naturally reestablishing, but they're kind of scattered all over Appalachia. And what would it take to bring financing to, to really put some capital up front and enable way more of that to happen? Um, it's expensive work to do. And so we often, when we were chatting with people, just learning about it, heard that funding is a challenge. Um, our approach has been to take, you know, look at the benefits that reforestation generates and, and which of those can we monetize and use to leverage for financing. And the clear choice in all of this was carbon. Um, you know, planting trees is going to generate significant carbon benefit. And so our, our model that we've been working on together is to, you know, leverage the carbon sale of carbon credits uh, to help finance upfront the ability to do reforestation. Um, 
it's an exciting project. It's complicated, but it's um, it's been really great to work with Peck and kind of learn from your expertise doing this work and kind of what we can bring to the table, our understanding of finance and ecosystem markets. One thing we're cognizant of with the reforestation work is that there's some risk, I guess, potentially to over-investing in reforestation as a climate solution in that wildfires are a thing and at some level, mm -hmm. you know, there's the potential that you're, you know, you're just planting more fuel, right? I'm just curious, is that priced into the model at all? Like, how does outcome-based financing account for those sort of uh, unintended negative consequences that could happen? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think the carbon markets in and of themselves are basically an outcomes-based model. Um, we're thinking about, you know, what can you what can you monetize and what's the outcome of these practices? Um, carbon markets generally set aside um, a buffer. The idea being that if we can collect all of these carbon credits or value of stored carbon, let's only issue some of it and, and sell that as true offsets for companies because they know that you know it's a risky thing to do that the value of that carbon is that it's stored and sequestered forever. Um, but that might not be the case just if there's any sort of insect blight or, or wildfires as we've seen out west a lot. The value of that buffer is really to say, you know, we've stored more carbon than we've issued to offset other carbon emissions. And we have some in the bank if something goes wrong. Um, so that's really, you know, a function of the market, which I think is really smart and something that, you know, helps with the credibility, which is so important in carbon markets of, you know, this is truly offsetting. This is truly additional carbon storage uh, so that companies and whomever is buying the credits can feel like, you know, it's they, they can account for that correctly. And there are kind of these fake carbon credits, which is a huge concern today and just how to credibly move forward in addressing carbon emissions. So what are some other approaches that could be taken toward the climate problem specifically, you know, using this method. What are, are there other projects that you guys are involved in that you could talk about? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on, you know, how narrow the scope is around climate stuff. I think a lot of our environmental work is addressing either directly ways that we can mitigate climate, you know, exacerbating challenges or ways that we can really become more resilient to the world that we're living in where it's just a lot of changing dynamics. Um, you know, one evolution of the EIB was to do more kind of stormwater resilience and, and coastal resilience work um, in the city of Hampton, Virginia, where they used that environmental impact bond model to pay for resilience measures because they're right at sea level. And that's, you know, a reality for coastal cities is having to deal with changing, you know, traditions around how they live next to the ocean. Um, so that's been a really cool evolution that we've seen that we're seeing more interest of around the country. Um, but it's also things to dealing with, you know, water quantity challenges out west. We're thinking about things like the Colorado River. You know, how, how do we live in a world where that's a water source for millions of people, but, you know, we're all taking more and more water out and that might not be a reliable water source into the future. So how, what kind of role can outcomes-based financing play in how we more equitably deal with Kind of water quantity challenges in the future um and of course you know things like wildfire risk reduction where it's really a collective challenge we're all facing or you know you name it there's there's plenty of, of challenges we're facing but i think the focus on you know analytics and measurement and are we are we stewarding these 
and challenges correctly is a real focus of our model and our tool. And I think that's always going to be important to say, hey, this didn't actually work out the way we thought it was. And it was a risk worth taking and we learned from it. Let's do something differently next time. All the way on the other side of, wow, this was actually super impactful and we should replicate this everywhere. I think this is a real cool time for learning and being flexible. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's this way in which in some sense, everything does come back to climate right now. You name a problem, there is a climate component to it. Stormwater being a good example. Um, what else can we put in that category? Because you're checking a lot of boxes for PEC with GSI, with energy and climate. Another area where we're very active is with trails and outdoor recreation and public green space. How could you apply outcome-based financing to, to that arena? Oh yeah, we're doing a lot of work around similar areas. Um, I think at the core of a lot of that work is really, you know, how do we think about public goods and how we maintain and steward and really um, kind of think about their lifespan as something that provides so much value back to, you know, a wide variety of communities. Um, we have been working on mountain biking projects in particular, but, you know, recreation more broadly for a number of years now. And in, I'll give an example, in southeastern Ohio, there are these mountain biking trails that now exist on the Wayne National Forest, but previously it was, you know, a national forest with not much trails and a lot of kind of negative impacts from the extraction industry just in terms of what was existing on the on the land um, and being able to shift that towards trails and, and something that becomes an asset to the community as opposed to just the you know forest next door that people don't think much about can really change people's relationship to you know the outdoors one, which is such a great resource for people's health and, and kind of well-being, but also to the ways that communities recover from moving past the extractive industry legacy in a lot of parts of particularly Appalachia. Um, so we think a lot about that and just thinking more about, you know, we don't necessarily want to monetize public goods in that they're, they're public for a reason, but we do want to make sure that the value they provide um, is clear and that we have ways of um, steward, stewarding and maintaining and, and thinking about the value back to communities slightly differently than we have because to date, you know, people look at a trail and say, it's a trail, it'll be there forever. When in reality, there's so many people in the background that are helping to think through the lifespan of that trail, what it needs to be maintained, kind of who needs to be involved. And that's it's not as free as we'd like to think that it is. It's, it's really interesting how so much of what you're doing involves kind of reconceptualizing, as you said, like the public good, who the stakeholders are, a lot of assumptions about finance, economics, what is the nature of value and, you know, to whom does the value accrue? And part of that is actually, as you said, like quantifying, monetizing, putting a dollar value on these public goods. Mm -hmm. Is there like a long game to that where you're actually moving policy in a direction that is more rigorously considering those those factors, which you know isn't always the case when decisions get made, but by creating an industry out of you know actually assigning value to this, making it a real thing, making it sort of tangible almost, does that play into the way those policy decisions get made in the future? Is that part of your mission at all? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say you know, we are, we operate in kind of a policy adjacent space where all of those pieces are really important. And we work super closely with partners like at the Forest Service, for example, we have a, a great relationship with the Forest Service. And so I think we have a unique perspective to provide 
on impacts of policy and kind of how we can work within constraints that we know the Forest Service has. Um, for example, some of their work around shared stewardship where it's you know thinking about adjacent landowners and how they interact and how you know they can both be partners and in the mutual benefit they see from the forest. Um, it is, is a place where we see a lot of stuff. We don't have like a, a lobbying or public policy oriented arm at QB, but being knowledgeable about, you know, maybe what funding sources are available, what impact they have, where they can be applied and helping either small nonprofits or local governments really navigate some of those, you know, just being able to secure additional funding is a really, it takes so much time and effort to do. And, and our, our end goal is certainly not to like monetize the environment and monetize public goods. I mean, we think that those are valuable for everyone in a really kind of intrinsic way. But I think a lot of what we end up doing is play this translator role between the world that understands economics and finance and the world that lives and breathes this work and understands how valuable it is. And knowing that we can connect some dots to really change reality for people who are out there trying to make trails a reality for their community or trying to you know, protect a watershed or think about how they're gonna deal with sea level rise. All of those different concerns really come back to, you know, can we put some money behind this? What's it gonna take? Who's willing to support it? How do we get them to the table? All those different things. And, and a lot of that has you know, direct impact to policy. So obviously QV is an innovator in this field. I'm wondering how how broad the field is or how specialized this work is. Do you guys have competitors? <laughs> are you kind of the, the, the only shop? We um, certainly have a lot of other people who are thinking about this work. I think, you know, when we first started, I, we probably fewer people trying to solve this challenge, but, you know, outcomes-based financing, even as a term is something that's, that's become more common. Um, and there's definitely other great organizations. I mean, think about Blue Forest Conservation out West and the work they're doing with the Forest Service too around wildfire risk reduction, similar concept. Um, and honestly, I think part of our goal is to, is to see more people like us doing this work. You know, there's even folks like Cambium Carbon who are doing great work around urban forestry and, you know, taking pockets of things we've been thinking about and we see these incredible initiatives coming out of that. And, I'd say the more the merrier, there's no lack of challenges to address and ways that this model can work. So the more mainstream it becomes, the less kind of education we have to do as part of our job to why it's valuable. And that's really exciting to see that trend. Well, I would hope that there's also increasingly no shortage of opportunities to do this kind of work. As you were talking about, there's sort of this movement toward more socially conscious investing there's maybe more public money kind of in the mix than there has been in the in years past. So one can imagine a lot more of this kind of work happening. But what do you see as the future of this sector of the finance industry? What are some uh, areas that, you know, haven't really been explored yet, but where there's potential? Or how, how does this evolve going forward? Gosh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's evolving every day. I've been at QB for almost three years, and it's just kind of amazing where we are now versus where we were when I joined. You know, particularly you think about things like the SEC's new decision that's coming down where, you know, if climate disclosure becomes commonplace, people are going to want to know, you know, what the impacts of things they fund are and really become much more conscious of the impacts of how they operate and what the outcomes are and really thinking more about these externalities that come from business as usual. 
which I think is super exciting just in general to see that kind of accountability become more mainstream. So I think there's going to just be huge growth and people looking to get those results. And if it's something like EIBs just become standard within cities, that would be kind of cool. It's a tool in your toolkit, if you will. But also I think just this approach of like how we integrate blended financing approaches, you know, we're not going to move away from public grants ever. I think it's a great place. Nonprofits are wonderful organizations for the work that they do, but just expanding, you know, what funding is available to people, how they think about advancing their own solutions. And I think that's going to be huge. You know, we haven't done a whole lot of work around oceans. I think there's probably a huge opportunity to think about ocean health and conservation in this way. And I, I think expanding even within our little corner of the world we live in now, there's just endless opportunities. Well, Amy Fleming with Quantified Ventures, thank you so much for your time today and talking me through uh, what is for me a very new and kind of difficult concept, but I appreciate your patience. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think it's hopefully someday it will become really commonplace. And when we say outcomes-based financing, people are like, oh, we totally know and love that. So <laughs> happy to talk about it. All right. Thanks again, Amy. Thank you. more about Quantified Ventures and the outcome-based financing model via links in the show notes for this episode on the PEC website at pecpa.org. And thanks for joining us for this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies. We'll have another one for you in a couple weeks' time. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>